can wake, make your way to your seats. I want to, um, especially since she just stepped out for a moment, tag on to what my wife said. Man, I want to encourage you guys to please go to this event. Um, ladies, if you've not decided whether you're going to go or not, if the finances are the issue, look, we'll, get, we'll, we'll cover it for you if you can't afford to go. Or if you have a friend who wants to go that can't afford to go, look, there'll be some scholarships made available. Um, we'll, we want everyone to be there. It, it's going to be a great, great time. She's been praying, preparing for this thing. And how many of you guys have ever met Pastor Jerry's wife, Rebecca? Right? Yeah. Okay. And so, by the way, my pastor, Pastor Jerry, will be here also that Sunday speaking. It's going to be a power-packed weekend. And so I'm super excited about it. But ladies, please um, go. Just like if the president calls and wants a, a meeting with you, tell him you're busy and you'll meet with him the following week, okay? I mean, seriously, it, it's just, it's really going to be that important. So I want to encourage you guys to be there, to be a part. It's so funny. My wife, she leaned over to me. She says, I'm a little horse. And I leaned back and whispered in her ear. I said, so are you saying, I'm a pony, I'm a pony. How many of y'all got that reference right there? Richard Simmons. Yeah. If you did, that mean you're like me. You're old, right? <laughs> but we can be friends if you get that. Hey, um, real quick. I want to read you something. One of our own came to me a minute ago and spoke this word, and it resonated with my spirit. I felt like it was right in line with what Pastor Jacob was saying as well. But it's Romans 8.32 which says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now just think about that. I know that's a self-explanatory scripture, but just consider what it's saying here. If God would send his son to come, to be executed, like what we talked about last week, that terrible death that he chose to die as a payment for our sin. If God would do that, then what makes us think that he's going to hold back anything else? As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul lets us know, no, there's nothing he's holding back. No good thing does God withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, if you're here this morning and say, yeah, but my walk isn't blameless. Yeah, if you're, if you're in Jesus, your walk is blameless. See, that's what grace does. I said that's what grace does. When we put our faith in Christ, he takes our sins, throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. And so now our way is blameless. And so I just want to encourage you that whatever it is that you need from God, he's made available. He's made peace available. He's made joy available. He's made wisdom available. As a matter of fact, James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally, and he does not withhold it. God will give us everything that we need, but oftentimes we fall into what James talks about in chapter 4 and verse 2 when we say we do not have because we do not ask. Friend, whatever it is that you have need of this morning, ask it of God. As a matter of fact, really, that's, 
the word that God has put on my heart to share with you this morning. If it's okay, I'm going I'm to take a, a, just a step off for a Sunday from our, our series in the book of Acts because I have a word that is burning in my heart that I just want to share with you this morning in the book of Mark. Um, and so we're going to dive into that. But first, could we just pray and just ask God to give us ears to hear this morning what the Spirit wants to speak to each and every one of us? Because watch this. God wants to speak something to you today. And here's the cool thing, is that God may be speaking something over here to one person while he's speaking something else to someone over here. But watch this. Don't think that this word is for someone else. I'm here to tell you. The Lord told me this morning, I have a word for everyone. So there is a word that God has for you today. Everyone look up at me for a minute. We'll make sure I get everybody's attention because I see you're distracted, a few of you. It's okay to talk to you like that for a minute because I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss this. One word from God can change your life, folks. One word from God. But if we get distracted and let's see what's on Facebook and what we're going to go eat and, oh, I got to use the bathroom. You can hold it. You ain't going to pee your pants, okay? Just wait. But we get so distracted easily, don't we? Are you with me? I'm just getting practical for a moment because God has something for us today. So let's pray right now, all right? Let's do that. Lord, we thank you, Father, first for your word. Lord, you sent your word. And God, you sent it, Lord, to heal our diseases. Lord, your, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path, God. We thank you for it, Lord. And so, God, I pray today. First, Lord, against any distractions. I speak against anything that would try to come against the plan and purpose of God. And I pray today, Lord, that your word would be sown into the hearts of your people. And may those hearts be found as fertile soil, good, healthy soil. So have your way, O oh Lord. And give us ears to hear, Lord God. And as we dive into your word, we thank you, Lord. Your word will do its work. It will do its bidding in our lives. So we love you, Jesus. We give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. And all of God's saints say, amen. amen. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Now, as you're turning there, let me just ask you, how many of you in the room have ever been skydiving before? If so, would you put your hand up? I see a few of my military. I know where that came from. Okay. All right. J just a handful of you, like four, four or five, five of you. Okay. All right, um, how many of you would go skydiving if you had the chance? Some of you already, Christine, <laughs> said, nope, nope. How many of you would if you had a chance? Oh, and then I, I love that because some of y'all back there, uh-huh, right here, right here. Okay, all right, awesome. Well, so check this out. So my oldest daughter, Megan, turned 18 last year, and she came to me, and she decided she wanted to go skydiving. I was excited about that. I'm an adrenaline junkie, and... Of course, instead of just going like up here at Fernandina where they do a jump, and I think maybe even one in Jacksonville, she decided she wanted to jump from the highest possible jump that they would allow you to do without being a licensed skydiver. And so she finds this place, uh, believe it or not, it's about an hour south of Tampa where they would do an 18,000-foot jump. That's a big jump, right? That's a big jump. So we went, we did the jump. And, man, it was absolutely amazing. I highly recommend it. But the first jump that I ever jumped in my entire life, that's a completely different story. Whenever I was 32 years old, 
I decided, me and a buddy of mine, uh, Craig, he's a doctor, uh, we decided we wanted to become licensed skydivers. And the reason we did that was he has a, a couple of hot air balloons, and him and I would go up from time to time in the hot air balloon, and then one day we're up there, and when you're in a hot air balloon, it's not like a plane. Or How many of you have ever been on a hot air balloon? Okay, all right. So when you're in a hot air balloon, like you're barely moving. Like when you're up there, it just feels like you're almost stationary, right? And we're sitting there, you know, I think it was our, our second time we had went up, and we're standing there, and of course we got bored. We looked down. And I don't know which one said, if it was him or me, probably me. I said, hey, man, how cool would it be to just jump out of this thing, right? Which essentially would be like a base jump. For those of you who know what a base jump is, where you jump from an antenna or a building or something like that, something stationary. It felt stationary. And so we got this bright idea. Wow, that would be awesome to be able to do that. And so we said, hey, let's do it. Let's go become licensed skydivers. And so we enrolled in what we call AFF, Accelerated Free Fall School. And so we go up near Albuquerque. We get enrolled in school. We go through hours upon hours of rigorous training and testing. And then you've got to go through all these, these tests. And once you pass the test, then you get to go up in your very first jump. And this was my very first jump. And when I say my very first jump, I, I'm not saying that I had went up like in a tandem before. This wasn't a tandem jump, you know, where someone's strapped onto your back and you just go for the ride, and which is what I recommend for probably 98% of the people. And, and it wasn't a static line jump, which is where, you know, you jump, and, and, and that's a lot of the military, right, guys, you know, where it'll automatically just pull. There's a line that's connected. You only fall for maybe a few seconds, and it pulls for you. This one, you jump on your own. And you have two instructors that's there with you, and they're throwing out commands the whole time, making sure you don't faint or anything like that so they can pull it for you. So we go. I free fall for about 35 seconds, which is amazing because you hit terminal velocity. That's 128 miles an hour. Now, just to give you kind of a little bit of a feel for what that would be like, if you have ever, as a kid, stuck your head outside, you know, when you're going about 55 miles an hour and it's just hitting you, imagine 128 miles an hour. So it's intense. It's so much fun. So we're falling. It's amazing. I look down. It's time for me to pull the chute, pull the chute, and then I start counting off as they teach you to count off. Five seconds. One Mississippi. Two Mississippi. Three Mississippi. When I hit five Mississippi, I'm expecting to be like, like they told me, floating, looking up, being like, oh, what a beautiful scenery, you know, the New Mexico mountains. Only when I hit five Mississippi, I'm still falling. I was like, six Mississippi, <laughs> seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi. I'm starting to get really worried about eight Mississippi. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing my chute hasn't went up. I don't know what's going on, but something's not right. S-A-R, right? There's a, something ain't right. And, and they, ta they taught us about those SARs. They said, something ain't right. Here's what you do. You're going to stop and then look up. And if you see that your parachute's kind of like, looks like garbage up there, you know, just kind of shake it around a little bit. should be fine. Uh, but if not, then you're going to have to cut it away and pull your reserve chute. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's time for me to look up and see what the problem is. I go up to look, only I don't, I don't have the ability to be able to look up because I'm having a line twist going from the top of the chute all the way down to my backpack, which has pressed the back of my head and my helmet against my chest. So I don't even, I don't have the ability to look up to see what it is. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> help me Jesus, right? And so I reach up and I feel the lines and I can feel that they're twisted, right? And I'm like, man, that feels like one big line. And so I finally reach in and I grab 
and I pull as hard as I can. I mean, ah! And as I pull, I feel it start to come loose a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I hear a big noise, and and then I'm up floating, and it's deployed. And I'm looking around, and I'm not thinking, look at these beautiful mountains. I'm thinking, (laughs) get my rear on the ground. And my heart rate, man, it was going through the roof. And so I'm up there, just like, get me down on the ground. There was some guy shouting out commands because they keep a little walkie-talkie on your, you know, persons saying, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. And this guy had the strongest German accent I'd ever heard in my life. My ears were popping. I didn't understand a word he was saying. I didn't care what he said. I said, get me down on the ground. So we get down on the ground. I get there, and, man, I'm scared. So I get up. I'm like, man, I just, like, had my life flash before my eyes. I've had that happen so many times in my life. (laughs) What are you teaching me, Lord? I don't know. But uh, I get off. Then my buddy Craig has the opposite experience. Like, it's awesome for him. He didn't have a parachute malfunction. So he comes down, man, wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that great? And this guy, he's the quietest guy. I hope you get to see this later on, Craig. And he's the quietest guy, but, like, he's so loud. Well, I'm, like, the loudest guy, and all of a sudden, I'm so quiet. I'm like, yeah. That's good, dude. That's good. I mean, I'm sitting inside just tripping. And then the, the, the uh, instructor said, hey, man, y'all are the last group of the day. You want to go back up again? We'll just take you back up if you want to go. Now, anyone who knows me knows that. I'm in. And I was like, you know what, bro? I'm good. I'm going to set my butt right here on the ground. And I stayed on the ground until last year whenever I jumped out of a plane with my daughter, right? And why do I tell you that? I tell you that because in life, oftentimes, you will work hard for something. You will prepare for something, expecting it to go a certain way, only it ends up going completely different than what you had expected. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Talking about maybe like a relationship that you thought that would go one way, but it ended up going another. I'm talking about the loneliness and the sadness that you felt, even after you've done all the things that they told you that you're supposed to do. What I want to do this morning is I want us to look at a few people in the Bible. I want us to look at uh, James and John, two brothers who had left their job as fishermen in order to follow Jesus. And then I want us to spend the majority of our time looking at a man named Bartimaeus. And so look with me to Mark chapter 10. You should be there by now. We're going to look and start in verse 32 through 44. Let me just give you a little bit of a commentary building up to that. Jesus begins to tell his disciples about all that's about to take place. He tells them how that they're going to be beaten, uh, killed. I'm sorry, how he's going to be beaten and killed. They're going to be beaten and killed later, but beaten and killed. But then three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And James and John asked Jesus if they could sit at his right hand, one at his right hand, one at the left, whenever Jesus come to establish his kingdom. Essentially, what they were asking for were the two greatest places of honor, of highest honor. But then Jesus corrects their perspective on what greatness is. How many of you know that what man considers great and what God considers great are two completely different things? Jesus was in essence saying, I know that you have your thoughts about how this thing is going to turn out, but you've got to understand that it doesn't end with a crown, but rather a cross. 
See, the disciples still hadn't come to the understanding that the kingdom that Jesus was talking about was a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly one. And so the disciples, they were expecting to see kind of what they saw the Gentile rulers do. As a matter of fact, that's why Jesus says in verse 42 and 43, he says, You know that those who are recognized as rulers among the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And it says, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant. See, Jesus essentially says here that following him meant to daily take up your cross. Now, what's that mean? Well, first of all, it means living for a purpose that is greater than your own. It means leaving that me-first mentality and lifestyle. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. James and John thought that being great in the kingdom was one thing, but Jesus corrected their line of thinking by telling them what true greatness meant. Jesus says, if you want to be great, then become a servant. Then he goes on to say, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Guys, if our lives doesn't look like what we're talking about right here, then we can't say that we're following the Jesus of the Bible. Like, we can't serve a Jesus 2.0 that's been updated to fit within the comfort of how we want to live. Are y'all with me this morning? And so, for many of our lives, or the majority of our lives, one of our main goals is to cause our thoughts to come in line with his thoughts. And how do we do that? How do we know what his thoughts are? Well, we know what his thoughts are because we have his word. But guys, can I just tell you something? God's word doesn't just get in us by osmosis. Now, hear me for a minute, Christians. Look at me because I'm looking around the room. I'm aware of my audience, and I know who's here. I know that for many of you, you've been serving God for a long period of time. Some of you are, are, are new in your faith, but for many of you, you've been serving God for a long period of time. Do not become like the children of Israel who says, oh, we'll just go ahead and save the manna that was given to us last week. That's pretty good, so we'll just chomp on that. No, give us this day our daily bread. There's so many believers that, okay, congratulations. You can quote 100 scriptures off the top of your head. So can this guy. So can the Pharisees. Means nothing. Are you with me? I'm not saying it means nothing. It does mean something. But we can't live off of what God spoke in the past. We've got to know that God's saying to us, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And every day of our life, that's why we're called to be in relationship with him. Could you imagine if I never told my wife I loved her? Could you imagine if I never spent time with her? What do you think that marriage would look like? Oh, but we're the bride of Christ, brethren. And we are called to spend time with him. As a matter of fact, there's nothing greater that you will do on this earth. None of your accolades will top spending time with God. Friend, there is no substitute for time spent with Jesus. If there's one thing, I, I hope that as the decades go by, if you ever remember anything I ever say, it's that. That there is no substitute 
for time spent with God. And if we're not being intentional about putting God's word in our heart and in our life, then those false beliefs that we've adopted, they will then begin to play themselves out in our life. How? Because belief affects behavior. Are you with me? Y'all with me this morning? Everybody awake? All right. Now, what we just read sets the context for our main text. And it establishes the truth that God doesn't see things the way that we do. And so let's look at Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. I want us to just pause here for just a minute. I want to bring something to your attention in case you've never considered it. And that is that every single word that is written in your Bible was inspired by God. Every word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for, for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I mention that because it's real easy for us to just read past certain aspects of a story, just thinking that they're not as important as others. But when we do that, what happens is we often overlook key details which play a significant part in what God wants us to learn. Like, for example, Bartimaeus, the scripture says, was blind. Well, that's a key detail that you're probably not going to miss. But it goes on to say that he was sitting by the roadside, a detail that was just as inspired by God. Now, that right there is a detail that we might just skip past thinking that, well, that really doesn't have all that great of significance. But watch this. I think this is where God oftentimes has a lot of hidden truths for us. See, I did a study on that phrase, sitting by the roadside, and I found something interesting. The word sitting... It actually means to dwell. And the word roadside means a way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. So what if Bartimaeus wasn't just chilling on the roadside, just receiving whatever passerbys uh, would throw his way, but what if he had settled, if he had dwelled on a way of thinking, listening to his feelings, which then resulted and the decisions that he made. See, I think there's a lot of Bartimaeuses out there. I'm talking about those who have settled for believing that this is the way that things are always going to be. Like, it's the way that my mom was, and her mom, and my mom's mom. But it's this type of thinking which allows the past to control our future. And it causes us to get stuck in a pattern of decision-making which comes up short of God's best for your life. Guys, watch this. Here's the thing. Most of us, like our problem, like our main problem really isn't our problem. Our problem is our perspective of our problem. And so what we allow to happen is we allow our disappointments to then dictate our destiny. 
But what if God wanted to do something in your life in such a way that those who are around you would see it to where they knew that only God could have done that? Listen, I'll tell you what I know is true about God. God will allow you to go through hard things. He will. I'm just setting, I'm letting you know, okay? I know a lot of times some preachers will just say, oh, love, joy, peace, and happiness, and it's wonderful. And then all of a sudden they find the trials, tribulations, and the fires, and the storms of life. And they're like, wait a minute, he sold me a bill of goods. No, I'm telling you right now, Jesus will give you love, joy, peace, patience, all these wonderful things. That's great. But you know what? You will face storms in life. You will face fires in life. You will find tribulations in life. And if you're here and you say, "Uh, I don't know if I agree with that, that that means you're probably under the age of 20. (laughs) But I think even my teenagers will say, nope, I've faced my level of trials already, right? And so when you go through difficult things, understand, though, they're not meant to destroy us. That's what the devil would like to do through them. But God has another purpose. You see, God will allow difficult things to come our way in order so that his greatness would be revealed. And then in due season, he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I just feel the need to do some good teaching on this because if you go into life thinking that God's never going to allow difficult things to come your way, then whenever that difficulty comes then you're going to find yourself lost and confused, wondering what you must have done wrong. But you see, God will allow bad things to happen to good people. I mean, think about it. I mean, almost every godly person in the Bible faced some sort of difficulty. But every one of those trials had a purpose. I guess what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that there is purpose in your pain. And if you will trust God through the pain, he won't leave his work unfinished in your life because faithful is he who began a good work in you to bring it about to completion. You know, there's another instance in the Bible where we come across a blind man. It's in John chapter 9, and Jesus and the disciples They come up to him, and Jesus asked, I'm sorry, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, hey, this guy that's blind, why is he blind, Jesus? Is he blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And Jesus responded to the disciples in John 9, 3 by saying, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, God's greatest works are often done and our greatest disabilities. Now, here's the irony in all of this. I don't think that there's a person in here who would say, I want to experience a miracle in my life. Right? Pastor Jacob alluded to that today. And you'll hear me say this many times. We all want a miracle, but none of us want to be in a position to have to receive one. Right? But my guess is that there's probably... Some, if not many of you that are here this morning, that you need a miracle in your life right now. And if you do, I want you to know that we're going to stand with you. We're going to pray and we're going to believe God on your behalf to move. But what I want you to know is this, and this is a truth that will set you free. 
Your situation may be a contributing factor, but it doesn't have to be the deciding factor. What you're going through, God can get you through. And look at me. You are not alone. You're not alone. You don't serve a weak God. You may be weak. That's okay. God's love is perfected in weakness. King David testified to God's faithfulness in Psalm 40, verse 2, when he said, He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Anyone ever been in the slimy pit? I've been there more times than I wish. But he lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Church, I want you to know we serve a God who is faithful to deliver. We've but to not lose hope nor faith because God will accomplish his purposes in his timing. Let's look back at our story. Mark 10, verse 47. It says, and when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this act, as simple as it was, was an act of faith. Because Bartimaeus could have easily thought, I've always been this way. I mean, what's this person going to do for me that no one else has ever been able to do? Like, perhaps there had been other people throughout his life who he had looked to, only to come up empty. I mean, I wonder what other things he tried throughout his life and he came up short of receiving what it was that he so longed for. Church, I share this because I think that this is symbolic of the things in life that we often look to in order to fill us. Like in order to meet our deepest needs. Things like titles. Things like nice cars, houses stuff, or priding ourselves in the way that we look, only none of these things will truly satisfy. At best, they serve as a temporary fix that doesn't last. But oftentimes when we encounter discouragement and things seem to remain the same, we start to even then rule out the possibility of them ever even changing. And and then we take on this mindset. And I had someone say this to me recently. I don't think it was no one in here. I thought through it before I said it. They said, well, you know what? If I don't have to hope or believe for anything, then I don't have to worry about getting discouraged. What a terrible mindset. Don't believe that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I said, that's a lie from the pit of hell. But that is what a lot of Christians do. And I think that Bartimaeus' life, it really, it serves as an example for us. What I mean by that is Bartimaeus, like he took, he took a chance. He didn't just sit there. I just want to say to each and every one of you, especially those of you who you feel like you're stuck, who you feel like nothing has changed, don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. Like I said, this is what a lot of Christians do. They just sit there when they have the opportunity to reach out and grab hold of the hem of his garment. When they have the opportunity to receive healing and restoration. See, I love that Bartimaeus refuses to allow this opportunity to pass him by. But then I want you to look at what happens next. Verse 48 says, and many rebuked him. Telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Guys, this is so applicable 
in many, many areas of our lives. Because there are always going to be those who are going and try to marginalize you. See, people will write your destiny for you if you will let them. Are you hearing me? But what you need to know about the crowd is that it's their lack of passion that's being revealed through their attempt to silence Bartimaeus. And this is no different than really what happened whenever Mary broke the alabaster box and poured that expensive ointment on Jesus. The crowd called it a waste, but Jesus called it worship. Now, I mention this to you for several reasons. But one is so that we would be sure that we are careful of our own criticisms because we've all got that critic inside of us that likes to rise up from time to time, right? I know I do. But catch this. Someone else's passion may look different than yours, but an attempt to silence it could be an attempt to prevent worship. They tried to silence Bartimaeus, but I'm so thankful for his example and how that he did not allow them to stop. And what, he, what they said, he didn't stop. I want you to write this down, especially if you're taking notes. When we become afraid of what people might say, we become less useful to God. Listen, truth isn't always comfortable and it's rarely convenient, but it's the only thing that has the power to produce freedom. And I can tell you that there's always going to be those who are going and try to label you and try to put you where they think you should be. But let me just say that this, and this is going to set someone free. People saying good things about you doesn't make you any better. And people saying bad things about you doesn't make you any worse. See, both, both of those sides right there will set you free, okay? People saying good things about you doesn't make you any better. And people saying bad things about you doesn't make you any worse. Who you are is not determined by the limited, finite, small minds of men. Who you are is who you are because it's who God says you are. By the way, if you don't know who you are, let me just tell you who you are because his word says who you are. It says that you are loved. You are accepted. You have his favor. He says that in him, you are a new creation. The old you has passed away. He said that we are his workmanship, created to do good work. He said that in Christ, we are forgiven. Oh, thank you, God, for your salvation. Wow. By the way, if Christ says that you're forgiven, don't you think that it's about time that you forgive yourself? Guys, I'm talking about us seeing ourselves as God sees us. Come on, someone say, I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. The, the crowd tries to silence him, but then he cries out all the louder. And what happens? Look at verse 49. Verse 49 says, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So now we've got two different groups of people here trying to call 
out to Bartimaeus. The crowd was calling for him to be silent, but Jesus calls for him to come near. Write this down. The voice that you listen to will determine the future that you experience. Had Bartimaeus listened to the crowd, he would have missed a miracle. Oh, you need to get a hold of that. Had he listened to the crowd, he would have not received a miracle. Listen, there are some of you that are here this morning. God wants to do something miraculous in your life. But if you listen to the crowd, you might just miss it. So here's what I found to be true about the crowd. It doesn't just have to be someone in your life currently that's saying something to you. But it could be something that was said many, many years ago, and for some even decades ago. But you're still listening to that voice. Talking about something that maybe a family member said. Something that a teacher spoke over you. Something that a boss said, or maybe even a friend. But if you allow those words to just play in and you start to believe it, it's as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so you've got to not allow those words to be playing like a brokered record player in your life saying, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're never going to be loved. Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? Guys, it's time to break that record that's been playing over and over and over in your mind, and it's time to exchange the lie for the truth of God. Here's what I love, and it's one of the things about this story that that really grabs me, and it's that Jesus called the very person that everyone else was trying to put aside. You see, God has a way of picking the Bartimaeuses of the world, the Davids of the world, the Gideons of the world. Are you with me? That's what they say to him here. He says, take heart, get up. And, and I love this right here because it just goes to prove that God will use our weakness to show his strength and his might. And I want you to notice here how that Bartimaeus, when Jesus calls him, it's interesting, first of all, again, that the crowd was discouraging him one moment, uh, but when Jesus calls for him, now they're offering encouragement. But they say this, and again, just something that stood out to me. They said, take heart, watch this, get up. Oh, I want to just prophetically speak that to some of you this morning. Get up. Get up. Why? Because nothing was wrong with Bartimaeus's feet. Like he used his feet and his mouth to affect what wasn't working. Let me say it this way. Bartimaeus does what he can, and God does what Bartimaeus can't. Guys, grab hold of this truth. It's faith that God is interested in. And participation, not perfection, is what attracts the presence of God. Mark 10, 50 says, and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and he came to Jesus. Jesus calls for Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus comes. He doesn't try to sit and resolve and trying to figure out how Jesus is going to be able to do to him what no one else has ever been able to. He just simply obeys his call 
to come. Write this thought down. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot. Friends, this is what faith is all about. It's trusting that God's call is greater than our comprehension. And we've got to come to the place where we allow God's call to surpass our need to understand. I'm talking about being governed by your calling, not by your circumstance. Being led by the Spirit, not by your feelings or your emotions or by your circumstance. You see, obedience is our responsibility, but the outcome is God's. I want you to look at the verse we just read, verse 50. It says, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I believe this particular detail in the story has great significance because it speaks to the things that we've got to leave behind if we are going to move forward with what it is God has for us. You see, there are some things in your life that you used to do, but you can no longer do them in order for you to go where God has called you to go. I know that in my walk with Christ, there has been things that God has asked me to leave behind because it wasn't moving me forward towards my purpose. And here's where I think also it comes down to really being able to hear the voice of God because there are some things that God may ask you to do, but then you'll look and you'll notice that your neighbor has the freedom to do those things. Now, I'm not talking about sinful things. Are, are, are we on page here? Okay, because God never uh, is fine with us sinning. But I'll just give you one example um, in my life. Like Jody and I cannot watch horror movies. I've not watched a horror movie in probably 25 years. We just, just don't do it. Matter of fact, I remember um, when we were young youth pastors, just got out of Bible college, and we watched, I don't, I don't even remember what it was, um, but... In both of our spirits, we knew and we, we discussed it. We can't do that. And then when you start thinking about it, and by the way, this is no condemnation for those of you that like to watch scary movies. That's between you and God. But I know this. If the scripture says that he's not given us a spirit of fear, why would we want to invite that spirit back in? Because that, I mean, the very definition, well, maybe I should have looked that one up. But if you look up the word horror, I mean, hello. Pretty self-explanatory. Don't invite that into your life. I just encourage you with that. That's not condemnation. That's between you and the Lord. But for us, that's an example. For us, we just couldn't go there. Or maybe, maybe it's not something that you would even categorize as a weakness. Like maybe it's something that you would consider a strength or a success, a success in your life. I heard a good acronym for the word PAST many years ago, P-A-S-T, Previous Accomplishments Stopping Tomorrow. You see, it's not just those things that we consider as weaknesses that hold us back, but oftentimes, oh, it's a word from somebody, catch this. It's our unwillingness to let go of what worked in the past. Many people never reach their destiny because they don't leave good enough behind. I share with you what I've learned from 25 years of pastoring. I've had a lot of conversations with people who are at the end of their life. And there's something to be learned from those who death is knocking at their door. And in those conversations, oftentimes, it's not the things that they have done that they've talked about. But rather, they talk about how time has flown by and how they didn't get to do 
all that they wanted to do. You see, here's what I've learned. The pain of regret is greater than the pain of change. So my question for you isn't just what's that bad thing that you need to walk away from. I think that we can all probably recognize that. That's kind of a no-brainer. But maybe, maybe what good thing is it that's been holding you back and preventing you from experiencing the greater thing, the thing that the Lord's wanting to do today when he says, behold, today I'm doing a new thing, but you're holding on to the old thing. You're holding on to the way you used to do ministry. You're holding on to the way that you used to uh, live in community. But God's saying, I'm doing something fresh and new today. Today it springs forth. Did you catch it? Some of the stuff I'm sharing with you, it can't be taught. It's got to be caught. I hope you're catching it. Bartimaeus leaves his cloak, comes to Jesus. And in verse 51, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is an interesting question. Because, by the way, it was the exact same question that Jesus asked of James and John. Remember earlier when we read about them, what do you want me to do for you? As a matter of fact, You'll find that Jesus, on many, many occasions, asked this same question many times. And I love this question because, first of all, it's both personal and practical. But I also think that it goes to show that if we will have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. See, I think that there are many people who believe that God is going to do whatever God's going to do, just regardless of what we do. They kind of live life sort of like que sera, 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 right? Whatever's going to be is going to be. And watch, like, certainly God can because he's God, he's sovereign. But I am here to tell you that there are aspects of God's power, of God's grace, and his manifestations that are contingent upon our asking. Again, Scripture gives clear evidence. I mentioned it earlier, James 4, 2, when he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now, asking alone, that doesn't mean that God's obligated to perform, okay? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, James and John, they asked for something, and they didn't get it. However, Bartimaeus, as we'll read in a minute, gets what he asks for. Then maybe you're wondering, well, why did God... Do it for him and not for them. Well, here's what I believe. God will meet your need, but not your greed. Bartimaeus had a need. James and John had greed. See, the scripture goes on to say right there in James 4, 3, it says, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Hey, I know that there have been times in my life when I have asked God for something and he didn't answer my prayer. Well, no, I take that back. Actually, he did answer it. Uh, he just said no. And you know what? He said no because my heart wasn't ready to receive what it was that I was asking for. If Jesus taught us that we shouldn't cast our pearls before swine, what makes us think that God's going to hand us thing, this thing if, if we're not ready to receive that thing. I'm not saying we're swine. We're not. We're saints of God. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that there is a time to where we have to be positioned in a place where God's like, you're not ready to receive that just yet. Let me ask you something, guys. Could it be that the thing that you've been asking God for hasn't happened yet? 
Because there's something that he wants to first do in your heart. Hmm? This is where it can get tricky. Because you can have two different people who are asking the same question. And it seems as if God is answering their prayer, but not yours. But what I've grown to learn when that happens is when I see that happen, because I've seen it happen in my life, where someone, man, just like almost right beside me will be praying for something, and then God answers their prayer. And I'm thinking, man, I'm praying almost the same thing that, that, that they're praying for, and it, and it didn't happen for me. So what do I do in that moment? I don't know, good teaching point. How about this? Here's one. First of all, when that happens, celebrate with that other person. Are you hearing me? If all of a sudden God answers their prayer and he doesn't do yours, don't go and get bitter. Don't go and start questioning God. Start celebrating with that person. Because if you don't celebrate whenever that person's prayers are answered, what do you think is going to happen whenever your prayers are, are answered? I'll tell you what will happen. Whatever you've sown, you'll reap. Not only that, but when my prayers aren't answered, watch this. I must trust God has my best in mind. See, the Bible says that no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. If God has held something back from me, then that means there's a great chance that he's still wanting to work on my heart. Because, you see, God is far more interested in the condition of our heart rather than our circumstance. Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, do you hear any entitlement from that plea? No. This is a cry of humility. But it's also a cry of desperation. Bartimaeus replies to Jesus' question by saying, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus got what he asked for. And for some people, by the way, whenever they read this story, the climax is like, wow, he got his sight back. But can I just propose to you that the greatest miracle wasn't what God did for him? but rather what God did in him? Pastor Jacob didn't know what I was preaching today, but I think he just pulled the synopsis of my message right earlier. All right? You see, the story, it, it ends here of Mark saying that Bartimaeus followed him on the way. And I believe the ultimate purpose for when God blesses us, that we and those around us would be moved to follow him. Hey, appreciation is great, but adherence is better. Hello? Because we're not just called to be a fan. We're called to be a follower. Amen? I want to bring this message to a close. And I want to ask everyone, if you would, stand with me. And I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question. But how you respond has the ability to change the trajectory of your life. Are you ready? Here it goes. What do you want from God? 
Like if Jesus was here today, and by the way, the Spirit of the Lord is here right now. And prophetically, I'm just telling you that he's asking you, what do you want from me? What do you want from God? Like in the same manner as as Jesus asked James and John, in the same manner that he asked Bartimaeus, he asks you today, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? Do you need forgiveness? Well, he's, he's got that. Do you need peace? He's got that too. Do you need God to resolve a conflict in your life? Well, he's the repairer of the breach. He's the restorer of paths to dwell in. He can make that happen. Do you need guidance? Well, the Bible says that the steps of the righteous, they are ordered of the Lord, and his spirit will guide us. Jesus says in John 7, verse 37, let anyone. So this call is for anyone. It's a call for you. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Look, if you are ready to be all in with your faith, if you are ready to surrender some of the things that you have been holding on to, if you are ready for God to fill you in such a way that you thirst no more, here's what I want to do right now. I want to ask you to raise your hands to heaven right now. Raise them up to God. It's a sign of surrender. This is the international sign of surrender right here. That's why you can know anywhere you go, on this planet. If you do this right here, even if you don't speak their language, you're speaking their language. You're saying, hands up, I surrender. And so right now, as the worship team leads us back into song, we're going to sing this song, very appropriate song for this moment. But I wanted to just sing the words. I want to make those words our prayer. Can we do that right now? Come on, let's worship.